Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began, Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arbery describes the mission this way. This college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in Crime and Punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains. The curriculum centers in the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us once more Ken Woodward. He was the religion editor for Newsweek for 38 years. He's the author of a book we covered a couple of months ago, Getting Religion, sort of a memoir uh, of his experience covering religion in the United States from the 60s forward. And he is currently the writer-in-residence at the Lumen Christi Institute. He has an article in a recent issue of Commonweal about the American presidency and religion. This is the subject of today's show. Welcome, Ken. Glad to be with you. First of all, let me ask you, was there a specific event or discussion that you saw that motivated this overview of religion in the American presidency? I had a very strong suspicion that religion was uh, was not and hasn't been an important factor in um, in presidential politics. Um, certainly, it can be um, tied with ethnicity. It can be um, a factor in you know local or even regional. Um, so I went back through history to see um, if if it had been and uh, and <clears throat> excuse me more specifically. Did the religion of any of the candidates make a difference? And even more importantly, did the um, did any president, is there, uh, uh, what do I want to say, initiate any um, um, policy uh, which could be attributed to religion? And that would make it uh, an important issue if we did. But I couldn't find any. Huh? You 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 begin in the essay with a an anecdote from FDR's 1932 campaign when his press secretary asked him what to say about his religion, and FDR replied, tell them I am a Christian and a Democrat, and that's all they need to know. Was that the typical, sort of the typical approach for most most cases? Well, well it was, as long as you were Protestant, and, um, and because it was a, you know, a Protestant country, and uh, you know, FDR had seen uh, his predecessor in New York, a Catholic, um, Smith, um, rejected, but he did win about, well, he won Mississippi, and he ran some southern states, which you would never have imagined, and so he did better than you would have thought a, a Irish Catholic who, by the way, was a wet and 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 uh, prohibition was a big issue in 1928 when he uh, when Al Smith, the governor of New York, ran and he was the first Catholic to run. So it's not surprising the first Catholic didn't win. Uh, but it also that election illustrates a point because the man who did win was Herbert Hoover from Iowa, and Hoover was a 
very prominent public uh, servant, uh, but he was also a Quaker. So as long as he wasn't Catholic, even though he was a Quaker and therefore would have to be, um, by definition, the the commander-in-chief, the pacifism of Quaker tradition didn't bother people. So it really was um, Catholic. So there were uh, two elections, I think 1844 and 1886, where there were there were um, clashes over over the the Catholic immigration. Uh, they were minor things. Um, Rum Romanism and rebellion, I think, it was was uh, the charge against Pierce. Was it? In any case, these were minor things. So really, it's only in the 20th century where we where we run across one, two, three cases where re- the religion of the candidate mattered. And the first two were, of course, the first two Catholics to run for president. Yeah. You, you say, actually, that America is historically less Christian than people think. And you cite a term from a historian, quote, baptized heathenism, that that was really more characteristic of the American identity up until maybe the 20th century. I'm not sure how long you would, but what is, how would you characterize baptized heathenism? Well, we're talking about, we're talking about uh, when, you know, we became a country and uh, we, I'm, I'm talking there all right, why do we think that religion is important in politics? We think it was always important because, and we think, and I think it's wrong, that we were essentially, uh, or, or some would say primarily or almost all, uh, a, a Christian country at, at the nation's founding. Well, we weren't. I mean, I'm citing a guy who's now dead. He, he thought it, uh, he called them baptized heathens. There weren't a lot of people in the churches and there were, and there weren't a lot of clergy to serve them anyhow. So it, they, um, they, they had the label that was, that was the tradition, but they weren't church going. And then we've had uh, better studies, uh, and that puts uh, the church going population at about 17%. Now, I stress church going because you have because religion is a social phenomenon. You have to bind with other people uh, in order to have any, um, you know, effect. If religion is going to have an effect, it's going to have an effect uh, in this social sense. And we weren't. Um, On the other hand, uh, my essay uh, got a mild uh, tut tut from somebody who uh, at the University of Chicago Divinity School who said, well, you know, the um, deists were, were uh, not so non-religious as we sometimes make them out to be. But in any case, um, I think that the myth of a Christian founding is deeply colored by the stories that we learned as kids about the Puritans and all that sort of thing. And it just isn't the case. So it wasn't until the Great Awakening in the uh, 18th century that that people were driven to uh, join churches and to create churches of their own and, and new new uh, traditions. So it took a while for us to become Christian. Yes. So, so yeah, they may have been baptized, but the heathenism really is due to what the wide open nature of America for so long. We had the frontier people coming to the United States. I mean, a lot of them were servants. A lot of them were prisoners, criminals. Uh, and adventurers that really gave the United States a far more, you know, freewheeling, non-institutional, if nominally, Christian identity. Is that the heathenism that you would see? 
Yeah, I think that that I mean, look, I'm not I'm not tied to Franklin Natal. You're quoting him. Uh, uh, that's his phrase, not mine. But it 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 is pungent enough to suggest that religion was um, not a strong enough factor in 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 how they judged things and 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 did things. So there's certainly nothing wrong with recognizing the truth of the fact that it took. Uh, a while for large swaths, and it took the first and second great awakenings to to bring people into churches and organize them in this fashion. I mean, I I actually think it's like today because I cite in the essay the work of uh, John Green, a political scientist, and probably he, together with his colleagues, are the are the most important people in trying to pin down how religious we are. And he's got a new book coming out on on the nons, uh, the non-religious, the non-affiliated uh, atheists and agnostics. And um, but he long ago established that that uh, to my to my satisfaction that about today it's about the same. It's about 17 percent of the population takes religion seriously enough through belief, behavior and belonging to uh, to have it um, a factor in how they might think about politics and how they might, you know, conduct themselves and so on. We have an awful lot of, it's not baptized heathenism, but it's, I mean, uh, the example I use in the essay, we have people uh, who, uh, you know, get up in the morning and, and meditate and in the afternoon they're on their yoga mat and, uh, and that's their religious expression for them. Uh, but that's, that's not the kind of, and they call it spirituality, that's not the sort of spirituality, or, or if indeed it's religion, it's not the kind of religion that affects what you do when you go to the polling booth. So uh, there's an awful lot of you know free-floating, um, yes, I'm a Christian, but I couldn't tell you what kind. Uh, and I, that's the, the situation I think that we are in. And I think that journalists and academics and pollsters who, who um, have skinny in the game is the way I put it. Um, uh, it's, it's their job to, to see the religious dimensions and, and, and to assume that religion is important. And I think these are the people who perpetuate the myth. I mean, I just looked at something in the uh, New York Times. It was something about uh, Catholics going to be a major factor in the election. Well, I don't think so. I mean, uh, they may in certain parts of Pennsylvania, and that may swing the state. It would be indirectly that way. But they'll say, well, you know, um, 20 percent of the um, population is Catholic. Yeah, well, maybe um, if you give them an option, they might pull the Catholic as opposed to the evangelical or the mainline Protestant. But that doesn't tell us uh, why they vote. Um so these are boxes that we put things in, Mark, that I think have to be called into question. Uh, you know, I don't know if you read Robert Wuthnow's book, uh, Inventing American Religion, but it's about how, unreli- how incredibly unreliable these polls are and how much worse it's gotten trying to even get hold of people. Uh, sometimes, you know, of, of your universe of people you want to reach, you get about 9% of them. Well, that's tells you that you're you're not getting much and that has to do with people using cell phones versus regular phones and that sort of thing um they're just not reaching them so i think it's a 
it's 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 a myth that we perpetuate. Uh, let me give you an example. When when um, when the moral majority was created, we can talk about that in a moment. And uh, after uh, Jimmy Carter's uh, during Jimmy Carter's uh, four years, the um, uh, that's when they when the religious right was formed. And uh, after uh, Carter was defeated by Reagan, uh, Jerry Falwell claimed we did it. Well, Reagan won a majority of everybody, including Catholics. So anybody that had, you know, anybody could claim that they were the ones that made the difference is what I'm saying. And uh, I think uh, there's just not evidence that that religion makes a difference. The, the main thing you do is you don't want to offend anybody or at least not too much. And that's basically what, what, what goes on. Now, you, you mentioned the 1928 election. Did Al Smith's, did Al Smith's Catholicism, was it a def- deciding factor? In, 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 in any degree, did his, did his Catholicism hurt him, ultimately? Oh, sure. Oh, sure it did, of course. Sure it did. This, the country wasn't ready for it. The, uh, and, and, you know, uh, again, as I told you, he was a wet. Prohibition was the big issue. I, I think I mentioned in that essay that the Methodists moved their uh, board of temperance from uh, Wichita, Kansas, where it culturally belonged and, and um, put it in a brand new building that's still there. Um, uh, the only non-governmental building on Capitol Hill called the Methodist building. And there they, uh, they made room for offices for the Presbyterians and, and all the other Protestants. And it was what I call an uh, imaginal line against the increasing influence um, and growing population of Roman Catholics. So yeah, it was a it was a very big deal, and it was a very big deal by the time Kennedy ran. Let's go to the year 1972, which you say was important in that it turned the Catholic vote into the largest swing vote in the United States. How did that happen? Well, it happened in this way um, that um, uh, that the uh, Democratic Party um, had set up a committee chaired by George McGovern, called the McGovern Committee, on um, on party uh, uh, structure and um, participation in the uh, convention delegate selection. And basically, what they did was turn their backs on the blue collar workers and turned their backs on the old party bosses. Uh, many of the blue collar workers were Catholic. Many of the party bosses, state chairman and so forth, were Catholic. Um, they turned their back on the union people. Uh, and many of them were Catholic, like George Meany, for example. Um, they didn't attend the meetings of the, um, of the commission. Um, it was Gene uh, Kennedy, Gene uh, McCarthy's people, not McCarthy himself, uh, Bobby Kennedy people who decided that uh, after the 68 convention where a Irish Catholic politician, mayor of Chicago, uh, uh, Richard Daly, uh, became the, uh, the ugly face of, uh, of, uh, of, of race brutality and racism and all that sort of thing. They decided they didn't want those people anymore. And what they were going to go after was the future. And the future was in the suburbs. The future was uh, women. Um, the future was blacks. Um, and so 
Mayor Daley, who, who was at that 68 convention inside as well, uh, inside it, uh, and people like him um, sat home there, uh, four years later and watched it on television. Um, so um, they deliberately pushed aside the Catholic vote. And McGovern realized it, but he realized it too late. And as you know, he, he didn't even take his own home state. So um, he took Massachusetts and uh, and uh, District of Columbia, I think. Um, and I talked to him about it afterwards. Uh, but they uh, that's what happened. And and that severed the Catholic vote from the old um, New Deal coalition. And it became the largest swing vote. And it has since. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you say the last religiously important election was the next one, 1976. What happened there? Well, uh, what happened there was really quite striking. Civil rights legislation under Lyndon Johnson basically put in jeopardy, to put it mildly, uh, the future of the Democratic Party in the South. And... Now, Johnson said, there goes the South when he signed one piece of, legis- of civil rights legislation. So Jimmy Carter, uh, governor of Georgia, uh, wins un- uh, unexpectedly wins the uh, nomination for president for the Democratic Party. And he is a born again Southern, um, ev- what we would call him evangelical today. And he let it be known that he was a born-again Christian, and that he was one of them. And who were the them? The them were mostly former Democrats, uh, but especially fundamentalist and conservative evangelical Protestants in the South, who, although they voted, they didn't get involved in party politics. They were still um, uh, in the shadow of, of fundamentalist separatism. Party politics was of the devil. You had to vote you're an American, but you didn't get involved in those secular things. They got excited by him. And um, then he lucked out in the North because um, where, where, where I could tell from reading the newspapers, uh, the, the people covering him, and Washington Post was a particularly funny example. When he said he was born again, they didn't know what that meant. They thought he belonged to a cult. Um, they were that they were that ignorant of, of Southern religion. And Jimmy had to play this very carefully. And John Alter's book, I think we'll talk about it, his new biography of because uh, I talked to him about it, uh, of, of Carter. Um, he lucked out in that Chuck Colson wrote a book called Born Again. Chuck Colson had worked for Nixon, had been uh, a convicted felon in Watergate and went to prison and then had a. Uh, conversion experience, and he called it Born Again. The book was a huge bestseller. And the next thing you knew, um, um, people, I remember the one who was a stripper named Candy Barr. She became Born Again. Uh, I think Bob Dylan became Born Again at that time. There were a whole bunch of celebrities who became Born Again. And um, we did a, a cover story. I wrote it I called, uh, you know, Born Again on the cover. And um, suddenly um, there were these people that had never, never appeared in polls. Um, you know, there was just Protestant Catholic Jew is really what it was. And they didn't know what to make of these people. And so the pollsters created a new category. Are you an evangelical or born again Christian? It was a way of identifying these people who swept them into power. 
Well, three operatives, two Catholics and a Jew, um, who were uh, very, uh, what I might say, uh, conservative to, to uh, radical right um, political organizers, uh, took note of Carter's win and said, those people are naturally our people. They're conservative people. They shouldn't be voting for Carter. He's too liberal. And so the three of them uh, decided that they could form a group called the Moral Majority, sort of an echo of Nixon's, um, uh, what, what was it, the, the, the silent majority, right? Right. And they canvassed for somebody to who would lead it. And they picked Jerry Falwell. So Falwell did not create the moral majority and he did not give it its name. Um, he, and, and therefore they politicized these people from the beginning. So the religious right was not a sort of upsurge of a political expression on the part of religious people. It was a consciously politicized group. They had never participated in politics and what they, they did not have what the Catholics had. The Catholics had mediating institutions, the unions and the Democratic Party in which to flex their muscles. Okay, that was after FDR. FDR really brought the Catholics into the coalition and, and incurred favor with them, as he did with the Jews. Um, so uh, these people didn't have that. Uh, they didn't have any institutions, so they used the only institutions they had, which is their own churches and the school buses and all the rest that we saw. So paradoxically, Jimmy Carter created the, uh, you could say, created the religious right. Huh. You, you know, you mention a cover of Newsweek showing members of Jimmy Carter's family uh, with the heading "Born Again," and it you, you saw that something of an echo, whether intentionally or not, of that famous Time cover from a from a decade before. God is dead. Did you have any role in that cover? I wrote the cover. Um, oh no, I mean the story, but about putting that putting that on the cover of Newsweek. You uh, you were happy about well, that. Well, I mean, you know, well, I was I was pleased there, but look, the Newsweek editors couldn't get enough of Jimmy Carter. Okay, I mean, here's a Southern peanut farmer, and he's going to be he's going to be the Democratic candidate, and then they met Miss Lillian, his mother. Well, she was a real character. I mean, she was on television, you know, and so on. And then there was Billy with the beer belly, and 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 you know, he was the the family clown in the, in the, the dark cloud. And then I, uh, we did a cover story on every one of them. And then I wrote another cover story on his sister, sister uh, uh, Ruth Stapleton, who was a you know a faith healer, uh, and, uh, and and so we did the the the, the whole family, as a matter of fact. And, um, uh, yeah, it was quite a sensation and, 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 and it was a coming of age. Well, Colson walked into my office one day and said, you know, Ken, this, this, he says, I, I saw your cover and I said, you know, this is God's answer to time magazines is God dead cover, which was 10 years earlier, yeah. uh, almost to the month. And there, I could tell from the letters to the editor, a lot of them saw this way. Well, 10 years ago, Time said God is dead. That's not really what they said at all, but that was on the cover. And it was, it was the most effective cover I think they ever had. Um, and, um, and and here's God's answer 10 years later, the rise of, the, of, of real Christians, born-again Christians. And uh, look at all the converts we're making. So it was a triumphalist moment for them.
Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I had lunch with Jimmy Carter about 10 years ago over at the Carter Center, J just just a couple of us. And he was he was very entertaining. He, he, I, I, I could converse with him for, for hours. Uh, but I must say the 1980 election was a very fresh experience for him still in, in 2010. Uh, anyway, so uh, can you you imply or you say that the seemingly low level of religious commitment in the United States today, the high secularization really was kind of where America was before the Great Awakenings came along. Does that mean, Ken, are, are you predicting another Great Awakening? Well, we've had a middle of the, eight, uh, <clears throat> middle of the 18th century, roughly middle of the 19th century, and I would argue the middle of the 20th century. Uh, it was a different kind. It was a movement away from uh, you know, um, Protestant Catholic Jew or Christian Jew. Uh, the, the young people wanted anything but mom and or grandma and grandpa's religion. But it was a, um, it wasn't a waking. Uh, Fukuyama uh, used that phrase for it, and uh, I think there was some truth. There was a burst of all kind. Of, just imagine a uh, a burst of of, of lights uh, moving to the east and so on. I don't know. I, I, I'm not good at predicting what's what's uh, what's going to take place. I mean, that would be a, a whole other discussion. But what I am trying to say is that that if it, as I assume, it's obvious that knowing that someone is a Catholic doesn't tell you at all how that person is going to vote. And uh, that certainly is true. Um I'm arguing that it's also true of white evangelicals, that we think that we know them, but they don't. And um, when I say religion is not an important factor in politics, I'm also saying the opposite is true. Politics deter uh, is a terribly uh, formative factor in American religion. And um, I think that has to be attended to. And part of the phenomenon is what political scientists call um, uh, uh, melding identities and negative identities. And it's very simple. Somebody said to me the other day, uh, you talk about uh, the right, uh, you talk about uh, pro-life people. Why do pro-life people not wear masks out in public? Okay. Well, there's no evidence that they do, but in this person's mind, a pro-life person is somebody who who uh, only cares about aborted fetuses uh, doesn't run any hospitals and, you, know, you can go on down the line um, we tend to think of our enemy as somebody whose all his identities are the opposite of ours and are threatened uh, and we feel threatened by them they are really the enemy so liberal and conservative become the categories um, I had somebody say to me the other day, I was mentioning Charles Taylor, the philosopher, and this person said, well, isn't he conservative? I said, what do you mean, conservative in what way? We've, we've come down to these, these basically political categories, and, um, and, and, and you see it everywhere. So I, uh, I, I think we have to pay attention because, because talking about religion and politics covers up the way that politics really really shapes religion uh, in this country. And um, it cuts through uh, across denominations. And we've known that for a long time. And we see it 
all the time. So um, those identities are more important than religious identities, um, in 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 my view. And I think I think it's uh, borne out by um, by the studies of the relationship between um, religion and politics. Um, most people think of evangelicals as southern, you know. Um, Southern, you know, Franklin Graham types, but um, they're not. You can be a you, you can be an evangelical and a Quaker, or a Seventh Day Adventist. You probably are a Pentecostal. You are, or a um, an evangelical Lutheran in Minnesota. Um, these are these are. That's why I don't think it's a it's a um, helpful category. Yeah, you 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 actually mentioned a term, an imagined community. To describe the the well, I worked on that a lot. Yes, I think that 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 evangelicalism was at one time a movement within American Protestantism uh, and British back behind that, and for a time it was a subculture. Uh, look at all the bookstores that they had. It's it's very entrepreneurial uh, style of Christianity, and um, it's tied very closely to the rise of uh, historically to the rise of capitalism. Um, and each pastor uh, is an, an entrepreneur in himself. He has to create his own church. He doesn't get assigned to one. So I think today evang- um, uh, evangelicalism is uh, better understood as an imagined community of mostly post-denominational Christians in which anyone who claims to be born again can be assigned. The prosperity people are on television. And and and. This is not really, it uses Christian language, but it's really not Christian. Um, Joel Osteen is the guy I was thinking of. He claims 40, he claims 42,000 members. Well, he's he's got a stadium for a church. Now, I'll bet you the people that are sitting in those chairs would mostly identify as evangelicals. And they, and yet they're, what what they're listening to isn't particularly even Christian. So um, it's 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 such a vague term, and, and when your choices uh, when your choices uh, for exit polls are, are are you religious or not? Uh, I'm religious. Are you uh, mainline Protestant? Are you evangelical? Or are you Catholic? Or are you Jewish? Um, that's that's your choices, or nothing. Um, those are the wrong boxes, as far as I'm concerned. So I think we have to under. I would suspect that if you take um, the, the the population in this country that is white, that has a high school diploma or less, uh, that lives outside big cities, um, that has, uh, what do I want to say, probably no more than $70,000 a year for a family of two, um, you probably, and, and probably lives in the South, Without even mentioning religion, that's going to be your population that we're, today we're calling the white evangelical. So those people, in my judgment, vote for all those reasons, economic, social class, educational level, which is tied to social class. Those explain the vote, not religion. Ken Woodward, thank you for joining us, and we will talk again soon. Okay, Mark. Good to talk to you. Bye-bye. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. 
Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.